What if there was a website that gave you access to the largest tequila database, video after video of educational content, cocktail recipes, and everything else that you wanted to learn about tequila? Or how about an app that you can have by your side every time you walk into a bar or a liquor store and educate yourself on what you might want to purchase? Well, my guests today are the creators of both of these things. With their tech background, along with their passion for all things tequila, they have given us tastetequila.com and the Tequila Matchmaker app, two of the greatest resources for any tequila lover. We're going to hear their story, and we're going to talk about an amazing home project that they did during the pandemic on this episode of the Agave Social Club Podcast, hosted by me, Doug Price. Welcome to the show. This is the Agave Social Club Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Price. There's not too many people that have impacted the industry in such a way that my guests have today. I'm here with Grover and Scarlett Sanchagrin. Guys, thank you so much for being here and welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So a little bit about your background. Scarlett, I know you're a writer, a journalist. Grover, you're a former photojournalist. I mean, you guys tell stories. That's what you're doing with tastetequila.com with tequila matchmaker app. I mean, you guys are telling a story. Grover, you've, you've turned, you know, internet entrepreneur, you, you have a day job, you're co-founder of Photo Shelter. Wanted to see if we can start at the beginning. What, what is the tequila journey that has led you guys to where you are today and where it all started? Well, I would say it's a classic tale of boy chasing girl. Okay. I actually discovered the joys of sipping tequila when I moved to Mexico City in the late 90s. I lived there from 1996 to 2000. And after work, we'd go to the cantina and we'd sip tequila and I fell in love with it. And so when I moved back to the States, I still you know, was really interested in tequila. There wasn't a lot available at the time, yeah. uh, like there is now. And then I met Grover through a friend of mine, and he decided that it would be a good idea to go to Costco and buy every bottle of tequila they sold and bring it to the house I was living with, with uh, okay. my roommate, and suggest doing a over. tasting. Yes. Okay. I'm sure the options back then are a little different than uh, what your tastings are today. <laughs> yeah, our, our palates have evolved. And then Grover, at that time, were you into tequila or were you saying, hey, this is the way to her heart? And so I, I love tequila. I was not, but I was smart enough to know that getting a girl of her quality was going to require some kind of alcohol. Okay. Uh, so I remember the first time we started, it was in Tommy's in San Francisco, where she invited a bunch of friends, including me, over to Tommy's and to try tequila for the first time. And so we went there and sat in the back and she ordered a round of old school Cazadores Reposado. And it, it came in this like, whoa, this is like fancy. It's like in a champagne flute. Ooh. Came to the table and I just slammed it. Like I just like downed it like it was a super cheap, you know. And uh, she looked at me like horrified. She's like, you, did you just slam that down? Yeah, like what's... What? What? Yeah, isn't that what you do with tequila? She's like, no. And, she, and then I watched her sip it, smell it, take it slow, and I felt like a fool. So I was like, quickly ordered another one, and then I went slow. And that's when I realized. Once I slowed down, I realized this stuff's really good. I didn't yeah. know a spirit could taste this good. That was when I first realized, oh, wow, agave is something 
special. So, and then I know in around 2010, you guys actually, you move, I mean, you guys going, you move to Mexico to really dig deeper into this spirit. And at that time, cause you were there for what a year or so. And then shortly after the tequila matchmaker app, you, you created that. Was that something that you guys moved there for to create that app? Or did that app come out of you being there and seeing, Hey, there's a real need for something like this to where we can help educate. What was the story on the creation of the app? I think, well, the main driving force for us moving to Mexico was economic because, you know, as you mentioned at the intro there, I'm a co-founder of a company called Photoshelter. And at the time, the whole economy took a serious nosedive. And as and us founders, we had to uh, sacrifice and cut our salary in half in order to keep the company going. And so in order to keep cut salaries in half and survive while living in San Francisco. The secret to that was to not live in San Francisco. So we, we packed up and moved and ended up being in Mexico for two years. And while we were there, we learned from amazing people. The people of the tequila region are so open and forthcoming with information. It was very, it was very easy for us to soak it all in. And when we came back after the two years, we realized we were sitting on a lot of information that others could benefit from too. So we created our website and shortly after that, our mobile app. During that period, we had a chance to take classes and really learn how to taste because before we were just doing it on our own without any education. And we really benefited from what we learned from professionals in the industry and some of the catador classes that we took. And that's For listeners that don't know that term, that's a kind of like a sommelier of wine. And they really gave us a structure to evaluate tequila and aromas and flavors to look for. And it really opened our eyes to what there was to discover. And so that was really the base of like the tasting portion of the app to be able to rate things, but also know what you're looking for. And with this app, you know, there, there's a lot going off that, a lot of education. You you can rate, you can review. There's, you know, the, the panel reviews, there's community reviews. There's, there's honestly a, a social aspect to it that you can follow people and see what they're tasting. I love the wish list because I think it's fun is, you know, I picked things on my wish list a year ago and then to go back through it after a year or so and go, man, I've tried that now, or I've tried that one, or I still need to try that one. So there's a lot of, of great things with the app and it is anybody that says, you know, on Facebook groups or, you know, I want to learn about tequila. Everybody says, first thing you have to do is download this app and this app will be your best friend. Anybody that is into tequila, there's a great chance that they have that app on their phone. But with the reviews, did you guys ever get any pushback from brands that, you know, and people can be brutally honest with, you know, I don't know, pushes them to, to make great tequila, but was there any pushback from brands going, what are you guys doing with this? Or has it been well-received pretty much with, with open arms? I don't think, I can't remember any brands like outright credit. Well, I take that back. <laughs> yeah. There's a few brands that, you know, maybe aren't doing the greatest job or maybe relying too much on additives. And our app gives people a platform to call that out. Now, it's not necessarily us saying it, but we do have a good group of members who like to call it out and point out you know, some things that may not be obvious to non-aficionados. And sometimes we get pushback from those brands, but in that case, it's just, we can't, you know, we can't censor anybody. So 
it's really never come to, to anything threatening or anything. <laughs> And, and you're very transparent. I mean, there's a lot of transparency. I mean, you guys, you know, really have great information on how this is being made, what process it's using. And then further that as people lock in things, it allows them to, you know, I don't know if that's an algorithm, but it just shows like, Hey, you, you're probably going to like an autoclave or low lens or high lens. And, and it really helps you narrow down to, to what you like to taste. So you've got that app and then you've got tastetequila.com. There's a ton of great info there. A lot of videos, a lot of, uh, you know, distillery rankings, a lot of recipes. And you've also done some, some blind tastings. And, and I, I was uh, able to do one. You were generous enough to include me in one of these. Talk to me about why you guys like doing the blind tastings and, and what you've kind of learn through that process? Well, we, we were doing a lot of blind tastings. And at the end, when we, re, when we reveal what the products were, people are often really surprised that like, oh, their favorite tequila wasn't their favorite when it was blind. It's really, it's really an interesting experience to, to just not know what you're tasting. And, and it really teaches you about your palate and yourself and your biases and stuff. Talking about rating things blind, there's really very few experiences in life where you get to try products without a label, without a bottle, without yeah. a recommendation. It, it's a very rare experience and therefore it's a very uncomfortable experience. And so when you do a blind tasting and thank you, Doug, for going through it, it can feel uneasy. And I definitely have felt that way. And I know Grover feels that way because you're just relying on your senses. Uh, you don't have any additional information. And sometimes you start to second guess yourself, but it's something yeah. that if you do it over and over again, you get more confident and those senses get strengthened and you, you know what you're kind of looking for and it can be really useful. So I would say to anybody who hasn't blind tasted before to, to give it a shot and, and do it a few times and you're going to get, you know, more secure about, about how you feel about the product without any other indicators of, you know, how you should feel. We've also noticed, because we love to do like analysis and stats and stuff, and we noticed that people who, they, may, they maybe have a favorite tequila that they love. And then when they rate it blind, they'll typically rate it nine points lower than they would have having known what it was. That is a real indication of serious bias or yeah. romance to a bottle or a label or a personal relationship or a story and how all of that stuff factors into the rating and you don't even realize it. Well, it, it levels the playing field. I mean, it does a few things. One, it, it really helps train your palate. I mean, when you guys were going through the Catador courses and the, you spent a lot of time with Ana Maria Romero with that, were you was part of that training blind tasting? I and mean, was there a lot of that going on just to really dial in the palate to, to see what we're tasting here and what we're liking and, and just really training that palate? Yeah. And the classes I took with her, especially, I think it was the, the third one, we did a ton of blind rating and even to the point where we'd have 20 glasses in front of us and they'd all be a clear spirit and they'd be like, okay, which is tequila, which is rum, which is gin. And, <laughs> and you get so blown out on your palate that you start to even doubt yourself um, <laughs> yeah, <a little laughs> at some fatigued. point. <laughs> right. But it just shows you how difficult it can be when you're just relying on your senses. Yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, as you go through it, and like I said, I was able to do what, what you guys, you, you guys do this from time to time, you'll do blind, and they're Blanco tastings. And you mentioned that people usually rate a little lower. So I, I you know, that kind of got in my head as I'm thinking, I don't want to overthink this. I want to just stick to what I'm tasting. But 
when you don't know what the brand is, because if, you know, we all love some great tequilas. And if you gave me a, a new expression of that brand or whatever that brand is, I'm going to know, Hey, I already love that brand. I know before I taste some, some new, you know, Fortaleza or Casqueen that I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy it just because I know where it's coming from. But with this, all of that gets stripped away. And there were times where as I'm going through it, I'm in my head going, I don't know if I love this or if I hate this, you know, like there was one in that lineup that when I was drinking, I'm going, I think I either, and I don't know anything else about it. Just going, what are the aromas I'm getting? What's the flavor I'm getting? And you guys, that process, you know, you have us rate the kind of the, how you can rate on your app with the first steps of aromas and flavor and things like that. But we don't get, we don't know how much it costs and we don't get to the price of it until after we've locked in all of the other points of it because even price can dictate kind of what we think and how we do it. So it, it really was a, a neat experience. And to your point, anybody that hasn't done that, I want to encourage them to, you know, have someone set them up with some, with some Blancos or, or it could, you know, be another expression and really kind of go through it. And I mean, as people get, you get those results back, is it somewhat in line or are people tend to be pretty surprised with what comes back and what they know what they're drinking? People are usually always surprised about something, and that's part of the fun in it for us. You know what a really uh, hard thing to judge blind, we started doing our additive-free program in particular, is sweetness. Because tequila can be really naturally sweet, and you really have to kind of train yourself on where's the line between really mature agave that made a really beautiful naturally sweet tequila and something that had added sugar. And that could be an interesting experiment to do at home on sweetness. Yeah, and you, you mentioned this this additive free program. We, we've got this website, we've got this app, and then as if you guys didn't have enough to do, you said, hey, we're gonna start this confirmed additive free program where you guys are really going in, and, and this is all you guys. I mean, you, you have a day job, you guys are, are busy people, but you're carrying this mantle to say, hey, we wanna look behind the curtain and really be transparent at every level. How, how did that come about? What, what was it like in the beginning stages and, and, and what's that process for anybody that's not familiar with that program? What, what's going on there with the additive free program? Well, it came about from directly as a result of feedback we got from during blind tastings, where people would see what they've, and this was usually live. So there's two ways we can do blind tastings. We can send you a kit at home, or we can do it all in the same room. And in the same room, we'll have a discussion afterwards. And a lot of times people were saying like, what's that? Hey, in number four, that cotton candy or that really, you know, super sugary, you know, vanilla cake batter in a Blanco, where does that come from? And we would have to say, well, okay, you know, that's that comes from additives. And it would spawn this whole discussion. And it would, of course, people would be outraged. Like, what? There can be additives in tequila? What are you, are you kidding? I didn't know that. It says 100% agave on the label. How can there be additives? And so we, oh, no, it's, it's permitted. And then it would always be, is there a list somewhere of tequilas that don't have additives that I can use or refer to? And at the time, the answer was no. But that's a really tricky, sensitive topic and yeah. something that probably only we could do. And so so we decided to put together a program. I mean, you're in the industry, but you're 
kind of an outsider. It's not like you have a brand or, a, you know, a distillery. You guys can can do it as tequila matchmaker and taste tequila because that's what you're building. Is that why you say it was only you guys could do it? Yeah. I mean, we floated the idea to a couple of friends of ours and we were like, yeah, you know, this sounds a little ambitious and kind of crazy. What do you think? And uh, and they their feedback to us, other brand owners were like, well, you know, you're the only ones that can do it because you are independent and yeah. you are objective and you have a platform and a voice and people will go with it. They'll let you in. They'll do it. And so we we decided to to really roll it out. There was one thing where they also told us, you know, hey, look, I mean, good idea and all and stuff, but you know, it's just going to be a list of the same small brands that everybody already knows. And like, no one's going to take this really seriously unless you get unless you get a big big brand in there, and that's not going to happen. And so we were like, yeah, you're probably right. So we just on a whim just decided to, you know, hey, we asked Patron, like, you guys. Would you do this? I mean, it's really invasive. We look at everything. We look at all of your financials. We look at your agave imports wow. and all your production records. We look to see if you're buying tequila from somebody else, from some other distillery. It's really invasive. And they said, let's think about this. And then they came back to us like, I don't know, a couple of weeks later. And they're like, yeah, we're, were in. They the first, were they the first ones that you asked? Was this the very beginning? They're the first big brand. Uh, okay. We had already had some others in the works, but once once they committed and we finished their inspection, it took two days, then that's when we announced it. And because we had Patron on the list, the advice that we got from our friends was correct. And we got a lot of media attention because Patron was on the list and it, it then just took off from there. Yeah, my, my respect for Patron has continued to grow because we think of you know this Americanized but they could have gone, I mean, back when a lot of brands went the way of Diffuser in the early 2000s, you know, Patron could have gone that way and, and they didn't. And so I, I always have respect for them, for the fact, and then them coming out saying, hey, yes, I mean, it's got to be invasive. I mean, I'm sure you're signing NDAs I mean, and brands don't necessarily want you guys in their you know, business. And so for you guys to go in there and say, Hey, we're going to uncover everything to, to check. I mean, when you first, your first few, did you feel like you guys were, were just kind of winging it or did you know exactly what to, I mean, what to look for? I mean, a lot of people don't even know what additives are. They don't know that you could have up to 1% and still say you're additive free, which to me is a little weird, but I mean, there, there's, there's a lot going on with additives that you do have to kind of search for. What was the first few that you did and, and what did you learn from those? Well, it was definitely an evolution it evolved we went in realizing that we wouldn't know we wouldn't have a full proof like checklist we'd have to kind of learn in each place and adapt to each place and so we started with the brands that we had a closer relationship with that we spent a lot of time at their distillery and there was already a level of trust there so you know we started out at Fortaleza and Cascoin and 1146 and then we just kind of moved from there yeah, one of the fun things was when we just, there were two people in particular, Guillermo from Fortaleza and Felipe Camarena from El Pandillo or G4. And those guys were like, oh, yeah, okay, you got to look here and you got to make them show you this. And this is the metrics you need to look at for that. And don't let them, you know, and you got to see this and look for this piece of equipment. And then like, and so they, they gave us a lot of information and they showed us, they showed us, you know, hey, these are the, 
three things that are legally mandated that this is the record book that has to be in every distillery and th this is the you know how they have to log any kind of additive use and be legal with it and this is so they they really were helpful in guiding us in the right direction so when we started we knew kind of right where to look and then every distillery is different and so we had to tweak and modify that process based on how that distillery operates but it's all pretty much consistent and is this you know because you could have a distillery that has multiple brands is is that ranking tied to the brand or tied to the distillery well you can have two different types of confirmations one is an entire distillery and that distillery it doesn't mean that every single product in that distillery is additive free it just okay. means that we've reviewed all of the products in that distillery and the ones that are additive free are designated as such and then there's a single brand this is when a distillery is like whoa 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 this is too invasive uh, you know <laughs> we have 100 brands made here we're not gonna no no thank you but a single brand might be interested in in the process so in that case, we have to show up when they're distilling Blanco and take a sample from the still and then show up again when they're doing their bottling run and take a random bottle off the bottling line. And then we have to take that back to our office and analyze it, mostly sensorially, to make sure that there's no dramatic changes. The point of additives is to change the aroma and flavor of the product. It, they're, they're designed to be noticed. And so if suddenly you have a fairly neutral Blanco and then from the still, and then you put it and it's in a bottle and then you try it and it's like, now you suddenly have cake batter and vanilla icing. Well, what happened? You know, so that's, that's mostly how we do it. There's another thing that people, uh, when we first started the program, people were you know, you know, I have, you know, how you have trolls and people uh, who criticize everything when, when you announce it. We certainly had a few people who were like questioning playing armchair quarterback on the efforts, saying that, oh, if they're not doing gas chromatography tests on this, then they're not doing anything. And and we've used results from gas chromatography machines, but they don't detect additives. The way those machines work is that you have to actually know specifically what the fingerprint is of whatever it is you're looking for in order for it to find it. And with additives, it can be anything, right? There's just no way we could ever know what this digital signature is of any kind of additive. So, so there's no way for us to test for it in that machine. The best way, and we've heard this from People all over the industry, the best way is sensorially, having a trained palate, knowing when there's a difference, when there's a change that is inconsistent with production, natural production. Even if you knew exactly which additive you were looking for using a gas chromatography machine, if it was a different concentration than the fingerprint you put in, you might not find it. So it's that specific. So. People think there's one machine you could put a sample and it'll just run against a catalog of every possible component, but it's just not how it works, unfortunately. And for people at home listening that that they are getting into tequila and they're trying to figure out what, what like what are these additives? Because you know from what I've read, additives at one point were color correction. And since this is natural, and if, if two bottles are on the shelf from one brand, they look a little different. You know the American consumer may go something's wrong there, and so they they're adding a little color to to correct that. But it's really grown to the the sweetener, the the mouth feel, oakiness. I mean things like that are, are those some of the main additives that that brands are using to kind of manipulate and. Change 
change flavor profiles and, and visual? You're absolutely correct. But going back to what you said about color correction, we think that the additive conundrum is really seated in the fact that a lot of consumers don't realize that tequila is a natural product and it's supposed to be different batch to batch and it'll be different season to season. And so they have an expectation of consistency that's not realistic or not like what they would be looking for in wine. And so part of our mission is to, you know, help educate consumers that this is a natural product, it's going to be very changeable, and maybe that can eliminate this kind of need for color correction or trying to level out the taste profile from one batch to another because it's a little bit different. So as you said, it started out with maybe caramel coloring, some glycerin to add mouthfeel, but the sweetener part I think is is interesting. I don't know how new it is, but it's definitely ramped up in recent years. And the use of really modern technology to to you know cook and, and process tequila has led, in some cases, to you know producing a neutral spirit at 85 or 90 proof and watering it down. And then you realize, oh, it's kind of like an agave vodka. Where's the flavor? And then you need to put in some flavor. And do you guys know? I mean, if, if I'm certified organic, does that, so as, you know, as we're trying to wade through additives and a lot of people, this is very important to them is certified organic. Is that a telltale that, Hey, there, there's no way that can be additives or certified kosher, or is it all kind of, you've got to investigate and train that palate to see what's going on. Uh, no, sorry. I wish that was the case, but we've had brands tell us like, Hey, just give us the, we're, we're, we're certified organic give us the thing. There's there's uh, organic additives. So yeah, and I don't even think there's a rule that says you can't have additives in an organic product. Most of the time, the organic you know label on a tequila is like, oh, the agaves that were grown, they were grown in an organic way. And so the, but other elsewhere in the process doesn't have to conform to that. So the best way is to really train the palate. I mean, that's what you guys, that's what you guys are really fighting for to say, hey, train your palate, start to see what's different as you're tasting these different tequilas. You do have on the website, you have the list of the brands that have, have gone through this program. And and I do want to point out because I have seen in Facebook groups where somebody will say, Hey, I never, I didn't see this brand on the list. That must mean they have additives. And that's not the case. There's a lot of brands and, and you guys are, are taking I mean, it, it takes a long time to do this. So not every brand has gone through this just because a brand is not on that list. It doesn't mean by default that they have additives. I, I want to make sure we're not getting to the game of telephone where people start saying, oh, they, they're not on the list, so they've got to have additives. But, you know, I, I would imagine there's some brands that that don't want to be on it because it is invasive. And I mean, have you had any brands that have said, hey, we'll, we'll pass, we're, we're okay with, with not having you kind of go through the system? Well, there was one where we had Siete Leguas, for example. They're, they're, they're an excellent product we've loved and drank we've been drinking them forever yeah. and they, they weren't on our list they weren't on the list and and we know like by just by tasting it this doesn't have additives but they're a very small private careful company yeah. and we knew they're, they're not on the list and they're an amazing tequila it's an interesting thing in mexico people don't tend to really pay much attention or care for additive use in any kind of food it's just not something they're thinking of North of the Mexican border, that's a completely different story because people in the United States are obsessed about what's in their food. And 
furthermore, we've discovered that when somebody gets into tequila, they want to really experience the authentic Mexican yeah. experience. And to find out later that what you thought was an authentic Mexican experience was actually somebody putting sugar into you know your tequila kind of makes you feel tricked and fooled. And so people want to avoid that. So yeah, there are some brands that have shied away because if you're a very Mexican brand or company, you may not be totally tuned in to what's happening in the preferences in the United States. But then when Siete Leguas went to the United States and started talking to people and people kept asking, why aren't you on this list? They were like, oh, we didn't realize how important this was. And so they they contacted us right away and we went there and we took care of it. And now they're on the list. So we were very happy when that day yeah, came. Well, we got an email from them. It was one of the happiest days of the program. So just because a brand is not on the list, I mean, trust your own palate. There's just some brands and distilleries that are highly private and we respect their privacy. And we also don't go around knocking on doors. We It's an opt-in program. We don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. So, you know, we're we're going through it as fast as we can as, as two people. Maybe one of your favorite brands will come along in a month or two, but that's where it stands right now. One other um, slight connection to that. When we announced the program, we got barraged with emails from brand owners in the United States saying, this is amazing. We're additive free. We want to be on the list. What do we do? We said, great. This is fantastic. Thank you for your interest. Here's the list of all the things that we do. Here's our checklist. This is the process. And, uh, and they said, oh. Well, they're like, oh, great. I'll send this to the distillery and you know, set this up. And then we never hear from them. like 70% of them. We never heard from them again. A couple of those, we knew that just by being familiar with that product, we knew there was additives in there. And, and so, of course, may not have known the brand. Owner, that's correct. It's often the brand owners don't know. Yeah. What they'll do is they'll they'll make a batch and then they'll say, this is great. Make it sweeter next time. OK, that's better. Make it sweeter next time and so forth and so on. They'll just repeat their request to make it sweeter as if as if it was possible to do that without additives. So the distillery is like, all right, that, that's what you want. And goes the super intense sugar. So it's been a learning exercise for them as well. So look, you, I mean, you guys are busy. You, you've got the app, you've got the website and, and then COVID hits and you guys, you know, like all of us, we, we all had a little extra time on our hands. I, I started a podcast, you guys started making tequila and, and I know we technically can't call it tequila and agave distillate, but you have this lotecito and and you've got three rounds of it now i I think you're maybe working on the fourth round i want to really dig in here because this is every tequila fans dream to be able to experience this i mean you guys are there so you you have access to some pretty amazing things but talk to us about lotecito and and what started that i read at one point you were Grover, you were at a distillery standing by the still, just, you know, sipping every few minutes and just noticing how the flavors were changing. And it just made you think like how different this can be. And is that one of the things that started this? Let's see if we can make our own tequila and, and see what that experience is like. That's actually exactly right. I, I was standing by a still and just, I was super nerding out and smelling it every, yeah, like it was about every five minutes and then writing down what what I was smelling and I noticed every single time was different and it had a, like a single note quality to it like wow this is really cinnamon right now and like my god I'm getting all this uh, uh, agave right now and oh now it's very vegetal and 
and and that that was fascinating to me it was like looking at a rainbow like one band of color at a time yeah. and then or listening to an orchestra you know and then like when you drink the tequila it's an orchestra but like you know at one moment it's just the violins and then it's the drum and then it's the so and it all comes together and you can smell all of those individual things all combined it was fascinating but the other thing was that we had just started our additive free program and this was a way for us to train our palates to like what is a naturally occurring aroma and flavor that comes off comes from a tequila and by standing by the still and doing that you really get a full sense for for all the variety that can come off of a still so you know when somebody we needed to we, we, we needed to know that because if somebody said, oh, no, that's just a natural, you know, cake batter thing that comes off the still, you know, that, that intense vanilla is right off the still. Yeah, no, you know, we'd be able to, to call bullshit on it. And so that, it has really helped with us in our inspections. And, and what was that process? I mean, for, for you, and we're going to have you walk us through it, but for you to go, hey, let's start this, did, did you talk to some of your buddies in the industry and, and Hey, can you get me some agaves and, and what, what tools do I need? I mean, I, I know you were doing this on like the roof of your office and now your garage is like a full blown distillery. Talk to us about this process and how it started and, and what have you learned and, and what were the hiccups and the things that, you know, went, Oh man, for lot two, we're going to, we're going to change it here. But I do want to talk about lot one and then we are going to taste. I, I do have some in front of me with lot one, two, and three. Well, let me say before Grover jumps in on the process. This was a hundred percent Grover idea to make an agave spirit at home during COVID. So I, I think he stayed up many nights thinking through the possibilities. And I was on board with everything except crushing the agave by hand, which I thought, well, <laughs> two days of crushing agave by hand doesn't sound like the most fun part of the process, but it gives you huge respect for the people yeah. that, that do all of that work. So I'll let him take it from there. I was, I, I had a whole bunch of, I mean, you know what? We're really, really fortunate and very lucky, to be honest. We have people like Felipe Camarena and Guillermo Sousa. We had Antonio Rodriguez from Patron, who's like the head of production for Patron. We had Anna Maria. We had all of these people on speed dial. Tony Saez from Tequilina. And... Oh, and, and Sergio Mendoza and Enrique Fonseca, like all these people are at our, you know, we ha we can call or WhatsApp them. And so I started lightly, like, what do I need for a still? What would I need for this and that? How would I ferment? They're like, stuff? are you about to launch your own tequila <laughs> yeah. brand? <laughs> yeah. They were really excited about it. They thought this is, this is cool. Like, you know, yeah. You know, and they gave us every bit of information that they knew. Like they just shared it all and without holding back. And very giving. It was amazing. And so we felt like we had support. And so we ventured into it. And I had to order a still. It was a weird time because I had to buy a specific still. Um, and it came from India, but you can't buy it through the United States. So it had to go from India to Canada and then Canada to Mexico. And so like I had to do this whole... It took six months to get to you? It took a long time. I think it took three months to get the still. And so and when it finally came, we were like, oh, now I need something to heat it with. So I had to find out all ways to, to heat the still at a consistent level. We had for special fermenters made. We, we asked a, a, a local guy here who does stainless steel work to build us two 40-liter stainless steel tanks so that we could ferment in. And and all this stuff, had, and we had to figure out the yeast, how we, what, what yeast were we going to use, and 
We ended up using the same yeast that they use at uh, 1414, uh, the Bivancos. Okay. The champagne yeast. Yeah. It's exactly the same champagne yeast. Are you playing music? Are we Mozart method in this? <laughs> <laughs> no, we should. And this was all at your, and this is all, I mean, at the office. This is, yeah. I mean, you, you guys right there at Tlaquipaki, beautiful little area. We, we had dinner there a couple months ago and, and you're just turning this office into a distillery. Yeah. Pretty much. In fairness, there is a mariachi band that plays at a restaurant across the street all day long. So <laughs> that true. could have added to the happiness of the yeast. But you are getting agaves. You're, you're talking to, you know, I, I think lot one is this Guillermo steps up and says you can have some of some of our agaves from Fortaleza. This was this is another amazing part. You know, agave is like an all time high in price. And here we are saying, can we have some of your agave? And Guillermo, we call him Gimo, but Guillermo was like, yeah come on in, take whatever you want. And so I showed up with the car and I just walked in there one morning and just helped myself to the agave that had just been, you know, opened the doors in the, of the oven. And then, the, you know, the other people started lining up. Like Felipe is like, I want to be, I want to, you make a, make a batch with, with my agave. And then, <laughs> and then Cascoin, like us next, you know, and then like yeah. now we do, lot four is in the works right now. We're in the process of distilling is that it like now. Yeah. Yeah, Enrique so you guys Fonseca. Are just I mean, you're you're just you're just <laughs> flexing with. I mean, when when you say because I think and we'll get through it all, but but you've got Fortaleza agaves, you've got El Pendio agaves, you've got Chava Cascoin agaves, and and now you've got 1146 where the Fonseca. I mean, they are like at one point maybe still are one of the largest growers. I mean, they've got a long family history of of growing agaves, and and they're all saying. Hey, can you make tequila with our agaves? I know. Isn't that crazy? It's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just sit back and go, like I said, every person's dream to be able to just have a fun project. And and it just shows the love that people have for you guys and the respect they have for what you guys have done. I mean, you're there. You're in it. You guys moved there. I know you were there for a little bit. And then you, you came back to the States. And, and you've been back there, what, 2017. You've been there full time and really just building these relationships. And that's what this industry, I love this industry because of just building relationships. Because to your point, the people are amazing. I mean, when I was there, just you fall in love with the story. And I don't think there's another spirit that tells the story of the people in the land like tequila does in the land of Mexico, in the area of Jalisco and in the surrounding areas where we can grow these blue Weber agaves. So, I mean, it, it really does speak to how much respect they have for you to say, hey, grab a wheelbarrow, load up some agaves and, and just go take them. So you've got these agaves. You then now take them to your office, and and what's the next step? Two by four. <laughs> <laughs> I went to I went to uh, Home Depot and I bought these three by three pine posts, and I attached two handles to the side of it, and that's it. You just kind of like tear the agave apart, and you start smashing it, just like beating it up, like trying to flatten it out as much as possible, and then uh, and you then, see how inefficient like a tahona is. I mean, similar. I mean, you, you learn very quickly yeah. how much of it still stays, the fibers there stays yep. on it. And and was that really, was that two days? I mean, was it really two days? The first days one was, was two days, yeah. Yeah, it was two days. And then actually harder than the crushing is the washing of the agave fibers because you're just okay. sitting there with this tank of warm water and you're just washing all of the sugars off of the fibers for hours and your hands get kind of, they get sugar just kind of stuck all over them and dyed like the color of the mosto. <laughs> okay. So, 
labor of love. Yes, it's a labor of love. Okay, so so you go through that. And then I would be like, I, I wish I paid more attention in chemistry class. I mean, you guys are really, because I've seen, I mean, you've done a great job documenting this on the site. There's some great videos and you guys really did go through it all and make sure because at some point, I mean, this is alcohol. And if you don't do it right, it, it can get dangerous real fast. So, I mean, I know you've got those people on speed dial that are kind of helping you through it, but from here, we're going to fermentation. Was that don't let it heat up too fast or don't, you know, how many days? I mean, what did you learn through the fermentation process? Yeah, we have got the advice we have received from people has been has been all over the place. There's been people like, don't worry about fermentation. Don't worry about temperature. You know, don't worry about that. Just pitch it at a certain temperature and then leave it alone. And then others are like, no, 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 no. You must leave it at exactly 30 degrees Celsius the entire time. It has to be exactly, you know. And so we've tried both, and I, I can't say either one that we haven't been able to detect if one way or another is better. Obviously, if you keep it at 90 or 30 degrees Celsius, it, it will ferment faster and more predictable. But if you let it, like the first the first one we did, half of the time it was just outside, and it was cold at night, and then it got warm in the afternoon. And so, and then we were told by friends, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You got to keep that at a consistent temperature. Like, ah. And so then we like bought heaters and put them underneath there and wrapped it in, in, in electric blankets and, you know, and, and kept the temperature up. But that was halfway through the fermentation. So I don't know. Our, our initial goal was to make something drinkable, like just yeah. not, not moonshine. It's, it wouldn't kill somebody. And when we, when we finished it, the first, very first one, we smelled it and tasted it, and we we're like, "Okay, we haven't run this through any lab yet, but this actually worked. Like, this is drinkable. We think." Then we had it tested, and it turned out our levels were all within industry levels, and so we were really shocked. And at that point, we got excited. We were like, "Okay, we got to do, we got to do it with this again. Improve the process and make it easier to to get through the process." So that's why we set up our garage for i don't know if in mexico houses typically have uh, if they have a garage a lot of times people will convert them over into what they call locales or or business uh, and there was a clothing store in this one particular one in this house that we bought and so we took the clothing store out and we just ran plumbing and electric and all kinds of stuff and uh, built a sink big huge sink and turned it into a distillery so and so first a lot how much did it make I mean, was it more than you thought? Was it less than you thought? I think we made, I think it came out to like 4.7 liters. Yeah, it was almost five liters. Okay. And 50 kilos of agave. At Fortaleza, where they have a Tahona, the process isn't really that, isn't really that efficient. It takes 10 kilos of agave to make one liter of tequila. And so that's what, with our crushing and hand washing method um that's where we came in at too we also we also got to 10 on that one you, you call it latacito it was a small batch i mean you guys have i mean there, there's a design here you, you this is you know, i mean you guys have made again we can't call it tequila by crt <laughs> standards but this is tequila this smell i mean everything it, it smells like tequila it's very clean i mean i smell that that yeast i mean i it, there's a, for me a little doughiness on, on that smell but when you taste it and all three of these are very different. Flavor, to me, are very different with it. But this is a very crisp, clean tequila that if you put it in front of me, I would not know that you made this in your 
backyard and in your garage <laughs> and, and on the roof of this office and the, you know this post that you had uh, so what what a fun process and then how long in between before lot one to go to lot two to say i mean did you think lot one it was one and done or did you go hey i want to take what i've learned and see how we can adjust and, and maybe do a lot too well lot one we thought we had gone too safe we really okay. took the advice of our friends really seriously and we thought well great we didn't you know make something that tastes like horrible moonshine but it could have more complexity and so that's what drove number two you then said let me see who's next in line and felipe had his hand up and you went all the way up to jesus maria and, and you got those agaves oh yeah felipe was great he was very excited for us and and was super happy to help us and we, we even we filled up the car we got 50 kilos and he's like don't you want more you're like you could take more you know kill Get more. You know, remember the agave prices are ridiculous right now. So that's that's at a you know that is a, an expense to them. This time we decided, oh, we now now we need to really push the implemented wider cuts. We need okay. to distill distill it to proof. Like so, we were trying to get it right to like 42, without adding water, and that's a whole other topic. We decided to ferment some of it with fiber and some of it okay. without and. All of these, I think we just made too many. Too many changes at once. <laughs> Are you sampling number two right now? Yeah, I'm smelling it. I mean, it's very different aroma here than lot one. There should be a lactic component, especially on the finish. Yeah. That came from the fiber. Well, I learned a big lesson here. And that is, if you you have to be able to fully crush the agave and get the fermentation started you know, within eight to 10 hours of, you can't just start it and then come back the next day and keep going and then come back the next day and keep going. I was a fool and I didn't ask for any help. Uh, usually we get friends to come over and help us crush it. Instead, I did it all by myself and it took me three days. And in that period of time, bacteria and wild yeast and all that kind of stuff settles on the agave. And when you start fermenting, you're not working with just the yeast you're adding. You're Now you've got competitors. So what you're seeing in that lactic aroma and flavor is is this wild yeast bacteria contamination that happens. That started on the front end before you really yeah, got into it. Yeah, That was a loss of control of the process that I really didn't like. Big and then so you go through it and, and you make, so you have, you have Lotusito, you know, too. And as you guys are tasting them and you're comparing them, were you both going, hey, we pick... You know, or was a split? I still like this one, or it was it just in your own mind and palate? Man, it's just continuing to get better as you're learning from what you want, even though there are some minor mistakes in terms of you know that fermentation and and things like that. Well, people who like mezcal really tend to enjoy number two because it does have that lactic element. I can see that. Yeah. For us, that's not the direction we wanted to go into. And so we kept that in mind as we move to number three. But also it's really hard to tell because tequila has to rest so long before you really know what it tastes like and it all comes together that if we did the batches too close together, we couldn't really learn that quickly uh, to compare them against each other because it needs to rest really in glass for like three, four months for the components to start to meld. From these two, I, I lean more towards number one, but this one, I mean, it it's it hangs on the tongue. I mean, there's a numbingness that just kind of hangs on the tongue here. And then you go to number three 
And this is, is this Cascoine agaves that, that yes. you got? Okay. Tell me about Lotacito number three. At this point, you guys are master distillers. Oh, no. Hell no. So talk to me about number three. I mean, you've learned a lot, though. I mean, walking through this process, you've learned a lot from day one. What was the span in time? I mean, you, if lot one was, you know, what time of year? And then was this within the same year? Was this just months later? What, what was the process as you're making these different lots? It was a few months later, and then there was a gap before three, and I think we really thought about the changes we wanted to make for number three, because we had had some time, and the other two were resting. And so you go to Chava, and he generously gives you, he, he's giving you agaves there, and what are you tweaking here for lot three that's different than one or two? I believe, uh, wow, and I'm, I'm starting to lose, I think we used two different yeasts. We used rum yeast. And a tequila, and tequila and rum tequila yeast, yeast, where before was just all champagne. Yeah, we wanted to see the effect that just yeast would play, so we distilled them separately so we could compare them. Okay. And then in the end, I think it was Chava that said these are better if you blend them both together. So we ended up mixing the rum and the tequila yeast uh, once together. And I read, I mean, did you take a power washer? Was there a power washer involved? Oh, yeah, now you're getting into the fun stuff. Yeah. So we, we decided we needed, so with lot two, the efficiency went, remember, 10 kilos of agave for lot one. Lot two was 11 kilos of agave. And it turned out we couldn't get all of the, all of the sugar, all of the moisture off of the fibers because we didn't have a way to, to squeeze it. So when you ferment with fiber, you have to be able to get all that moisture off of those fibers before you distill. And we, we didn't have a way to, to really crush like that. We didn't have a mill or anything like that. So we needed to figure out what steps we could take to improve our efficiency. And so we bought a, a little sugar cane. Per, I mean, it's a tiny little thing that you stick a little cane of, you know, stalk of sugar in there and it, it gets the juice out. We bought one of those and hand cranked all of the, all of the fibers through that so that we could get any moisture off of it. But the step before that, so hand wash it twice in hot water. The third step was to put it into this like basket and we bought a high pressure water sprayer. And so this was like our, our little diffuser, right? I was going to say your diffuser. Yeah. And so we used that to jet off as any kind of sugar. And we ended up getting two bricks of sugar off of it that way. And then while it's still wet, we then took it over to the sugar cane press and then run it through there. And then that got off another two bricks. And then we took that and then put it into the into the fermentation tank and continued to rinse the, the sugars until until the fibers until we got the right sugar. And our, our efficiency went to like seven point six kilos of agave okay. per liter, which is like way, way improved. So the yeah. And then I think in the end we included a lot of top part of the distillation. I'm not gonna say heads, but the part of the distillation in the very beginning that is very floral. And so you should have more floral in yeah. this one. And when we distilled it and we finished it, Scarlett was smelling it. She's like, this is aggressively over floral. This is too much. I don't think I like it. And I agreed with her and we were kind of bummed and we're like, ah, oh, man. And so we put it in this glass garrafon or carboy and just kind of pushed it aside in the distillery. And then, it, I don't know, two or three months went by and we were like, oh, what are we going to do with that stuff? It's not really good. And so we opened it up and tried it again. We're like, oh, wait, hold on. It changed. Like, whoa, what a difference. And it really, the the intensity of the floral notes came way down. 
and agave came up a little bit more and it became a little bit more to our liking so it's a it's kind of close between one and three we're not really sure so and you guys are working what can you tell us about number four are you doing number four just because you want to continue the workout you want to you know you don't have the gym membership you're you're pounding (laughs) these agaves what's going on with lot number four Uh, lot four this was really fun because it's super fun because we got to go into the field where the agaves were growing and then actually have a hand at picking the agaves. So we went, so Enrique has this one field that is just killer. Like the agaves are all super mature. It's so hard to find mature agaves. And here I am walking through this field as the sun was rising and I'm, I'm thinking, my God, this is like, how expensive is this agave field that I'm working on right now? Because these things are like mature, like super ripe. And, you know, it's his best field. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to use these agaves in my next Fuente Seca Blanco. I'm like, what? That's like my favorite tequila. You got to be kidding me. So um, he's <laughs> giving me my pick. I'm like, what you got? What you joke? This is amazing. And it was all organic. Like, there was weeds growing. Like, I had to cut down the weeds in order to see the agave because, like, they don't add any pesticides or herbicides or any kind of, like, anything. So it was an incredible experience. And the hemadoras were just great. So we, we selected pinas and then they got cooked at 1146 okay. in, in the town of Tequila. And we showed up on the day to they opened the oven and we just grabbed the pinas and brought them home. So this is the first one that's autoclave opposed to brick oven, correct? Yeah. Okay. But they're very low pressure. I mean, so that atmospheric pressure is pretty much the same thing as what they're getting with the oven. So very similar there yeah. for how they're cooking them. Yep. I don't know. They're they're all just great people, and their process is wonderful. And so, like you know, it was it was an honor to be able to to have that. And I, and I try to pay them every time, and they're like, no, no, just donate it to a cause or something like. Uh. So is lot? I mean, is lot four done? Are you tasting lot four? I mean, is lot it resting? four is it? Lot four is our experiment here was open air fermentation combined with closed there so like we have fermentation going on in glass carboys uh, with airlocks like you would for a beer and uh, and then we have stainless steel outside fermenting with open air and then the okay. idea was to combine them the in the end that's the process we're doing now the the open air stuff finished first the I, there is still one carboy that's remaining to be distilled okay and but then we'll we should have that done tomorrow and then that will be in ordinario the first distillation stage then we're just going to let that ordinario sit and like just let it sit and rest for a while and just kind of like chill out get it sacked together and then we'll then we'll distill that again so i was talking to it with enrique fonseca about this and he's he says he likes to give everything a lot of time he likes to he likes to you know give the fermentation a long time like don't rush it let it do its thing let it rest, you know, when you think it's done, let it, just let it sit there. Just keep letting it sit there. And like, you know, until it starts to, you know, get the lactic thing going, then pull it. And then, you know, do when you do your uh, first distillation and it's ordinario, just let it sit. Don't rush into the first, you know, the second distillation. Not in right a hurry away. for anything. Just let it sit. And he likes to leave, he likes to leave ordinario and tanks just sitting there for a long time, six months, just like, and then when it's ready, he'll, He'll distill it the second time. So I just love the the concept of taking your time. I mean, look, agave takes you know seven years to get to this point, yeah. and and now we're gonna rush it in the end. Um, so it makes sense to just sort of let it let it go 
and I'm already thinking what should we do for number five. <laughs> so when, I mean, at some point, are, are we going to like move some things around in the garage and, and put some barrels? I mean, are, are we going to start aging at some point just to really get into this experiment or are we just stick into the Blancos? We do have a small barrel that was generously gifted to us okay. and it has tequila in it now. We're keeping it wet and our plan is to have a run that's has enough yield that we can take some of it and put it in this little barrel and make a little lightly aged reposado. I love it. It's a 20 liter barrel. So, you know, and with, what do we make? Five, maybe six max liters at a time. So we would have to really do multiple batches in order to fill a barrel to make a reposado. You gotta go 24 hour shifts of just making, <laughs> making tequila yeah. like Fortaleza, just around the clock just, just continue <laughs> to make it guys i love this i love you know the website you know we talk about your contribution i mean it is huge and i know you guys are just chasing passion i mean you guys are really you, you fell in love with this this industry the people but it's a very important thing of what you guys are doing and i, I i'm sure you're probably not going to talk about this but on your website you can go to tastetequila.com and there is a spot where you can donate because what you're doing is is do you not want me to say that no i just uh we're really shy about it but yeah there is donate button there because people asked how they could support particularly our additive free program because they knew we were running around <laughs> all over the place and in some cases hiring lawyers to help make sure that you know everybody feels secure about the process yeah look i mean it people you're working hard and and so there is a spot that if if people want to donate they can go to to tastetequila.com there's a ton of videos there's a ton of blogs i mean you guys are storytellers a lot of education you walk people through you know diffuser tequila what what to pick out things like that so thank you guys so much thank you for for sharing this you're making you know there's not a lot here and for you to to give me some i know there's other people that you have gifted to 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 try this so I wanted to just say thank you. This has been fun just just talking with you guys as we all just love this industry. Any other social media? I know, hey, Grover, every time I say, hey, Grover in text, I I think of your social media for, you know, independent. What what is on Instagram, things like that? Oh, we're at Tequila Match on Instagram, right? And I think, uh, what else are we on? Facebook, I think the same. Okay. Well, Doug, thank you so much because tequila friends are the best friends as you as you've learned, yeah. um, tequila people are the best, and we really appreciate you having us on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, I can't wait to see what, what's next, what's in store, lot, you know, four, five, just as you guys continue to uh, just experiment and have fun. But guys, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks. All right, take care, guys. That was Grover and Scarlett from Tequila Matchmaker and TasteTequila.com. Be sure to download the app if you haven't already done so. And there's a link in the description if you're interested in donating to their site. That's going to wrap up the season for this year. I'm incredibly thankful for all my guests over the past year, as well as everyone who listens to the show. Please make sure you follow me on Instagram at Agave Social Club, as I've partnered with some amazing brands this December for some great holiday giveaways. We'll be back in January for another year of great tequilas. But in the meantime, you can check out the Agave Social Club channel on YouTube, as I'll be releasing multiple videos throughout the month. I hope you have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 